0: Matthew three sixteen. Matthew three sixteen. There's a lot to be said about the three sixteens of the Bible. There's several of them. There are several unique ones, and uh, um, and we might be looking at a couple of those. But tonight we're in Matthew three, in uh, verse number sixteen. And Matthew three sixteen deals with the baptism of Jesus Christ. It says. Uh, To grab a little context, let's just skip up to verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? I don't think I read that very good. Let me read that again. He says to him, he says, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? He says, I I need you to baptize me, and you're coming to me to be baptized. Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer, or allow it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he suffered him. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and, lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And, lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom... I am well, please. It's interesting that this particular verse, in verse number 16 and 17 too, deal with the Trinity, the Trinity, uh, one of the most uh, important doctrinal teachings that our Bible teaches and that we as believers hold to, this doctrine of the Trinity. But tonight, whenever you come across this text, either whether it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or in John, because it is alluded to in John, though it's not especially mentioned, we we must always, I think, ask ourselves this question. Why was Jesus baptized? I mean, have you ever thought that before in your mind? Whenever you come across this, you think to yourself, I know why I was baptized. I was, I was baptized in order that I might identify with Jesus, in order that I might obey Jesus. But why was Jesus baptized? What's the purpose? What's the reason behind uh, this particular account? And it is important because it is mentioned in all four Gospels. Uh, John's gospel, just to kind of give you an idea here, John's gospel is about 90% different than the other three gospels. So it has 93, 93% of the material in John is unique to John. Uh, so uh, only 7% of what you find in John is is going to be alluded to or mentioned in the other three Gospels. Uh, so, very different. That's why they call the first three Gospels the Synoptic Gospels. They're tied together. Uh, and then you have John. But nonetheless, we want to explore this topic tonight of Jesus's baptism. Of Jesus' baptism. And we're going to explore some reasons why I believe he was not baptized, but also some reasons why he was baptized. And then see... An overwhelming theme and truth to all of them, and I think it's tied up in a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21. And I'll go ahead and read it to you where it tells us that he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ's baptism, as I believe we will see, was only one of many ways in which Christ, who took on sinful flesh yet condemned sin in the flesh, prove to us once and for all that there is only one way to heaven and there is only one way to have victorious Christian living in the Christian's life. And that is provided through one that is called the straight gate, Jesus Christ our Lord. So let us notice, first of all, some doubtful motives. Some doubtful motives. Why, uh, what, what are some unlikely reasons why Jesus was baptized? I might even say... Uh, These are not even good reasons but they're unlikely reasons. They're doubtful and um, we're going to see some of those. The first thing we find is this is that some believe that Jesus was baptized in order that he may be able to forgive sins. Now this is highly unlikely uh, if Unless you want to stretch it so far as to say perhaps that in order to fulfill righteousness and to fulfill the will of God uh, and to be perfect, then he had to be baptized. And therefore, and all of his works, this is part of his works, uh, in order to ultimately forgive us of sins. But those that teach this do not believe it that way. In fact, what they really claim is this, is that... Jesus' baptism was really a foreshadowing of our baptism that gives us forgiveness of sins. Uh, It's a foreshadowing that as Jesus was baptized, so we should be baptized in order that we can be forgiven of our sins. But... We all believe and we know and we, I hope you've read our Bible and you've been in church long enough to understand that redemption and sanctification and justification and forgiveness of our sins are all settled at one place and that's the Calvary's cross. Amen. That's, only, that's the only place where we can find true forgiveness of our sins when we plead for His infinite mercy based upon His merits upon the cross of Calvary. We go to Him, believing that He saves us from our sins by the blood that He shed for us and the resurrection that He secured for us on that fateful day. But there's another thing. I thought this was quite interesting. Why did Jesus get baptized? These are some reasons why uh, are wrong thoughts. Another thought is this, is one uh, early, uh, I, would, I wouldn't call him a church father, but one early uh, theologian said that, and some still hold to this, that Jesus, when he baptized, was baptized, was purifying the water with his baptism, thereby providing the way for us to be washed away from our sins. Uh, very interesting thought and view with that, but such is not taught in the Scripture. His baptism was not seen as some mystical communion between him and the water that he was baptized in, and, uh, in order that we might have salvation through water. Uh, But we're not saved by water, we're saved by the blood of Jesus and his resurrection and believing upon him. Thirdly, there was the Gnostics' point of view. The Gnostics, those were the people that had knowledge. Oh, they, had, they, were, they were smart guys. They were the intellectuals. And they said that Jesus truly did not become divine and deity and did not really, was not able to really perform his uh, duties that he was called upon to do until he was baptized. And it was upon his baptism that he became deity. That was when he became uh, deity, was at his baptism. Uh, the JWs would like a view like that, perhaps, and some other cults uh, would go along with some things like that. But we reject that, obviously, because we know and we believe that, first of all, that Jesus Christ was born God. He was born Emmanuel. What? God with us. Not only that, but we know that Jesus is also eternal, and the only one that is eternal is God. John 1.1 can help us with that very much so. Some have taken it though maybe a little lighter stance and have said that his baptism was an initiation into his high priestly role because he was about 30 years old and high priests and priests were put into the ministry at 30 years old and so his baptism was kind of a, an initiation rite to establish his priesthood. The problem with that is this is that uh, if you read a little bit further in your Bibles you'll find that uh, the priesthood age was changed to 25. And then uh, around Hezekiah's day, it was lowered down to 20. So uh, so you've got problems there. It was not an initiation, right? And some just simply state that he was endorsing the ministry of John by being baptized. But that's easily understood to not be the truth because Jesus verbally <laughs> recognize and endorse the ministry of John by saying that he was the greatest prophet uh, that had come from a woman. So, uh, so we see these things here tonight. And besides this, none of these things fit in with our key verse in verse number 15, where it says, Suffer it now to be so, for thus it becometh us, and that will be key here in just a moment, to fulfill all righteousness. Us. So we see some doubtful motives, but secondly, we see a determined mission. Why was Jesus baptized? What's the point? Why did he do it? Well, look at verse number 13. It says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. The word cometh there is a word that is expressing that he came on purpose, that he had an intent. That he wasn't just walking through the wilderness and he saw John the Baptist and he saw some river named Jordan. And he thought to himself, you know what, I think it might be a good idea to get baptized today. That's not what Jesus did, okay? Jesus always had purpose. He had reasons. He had motive in which he did things. He came without his family. He came without his friends. He came for a special purpose and specific purpose. And his reasoning was direct and on purpose. And I believe that's very telling about our Lord. You see, our Lord always does things on purpose, amen? He always does things for a reason. Our God is reasonable. He's a purposeful God. God doesn't do things haphazardly. I'm just, I just finished the book of Job, and as I read through the book of Job, Job was never told the reason why God allowed those terrible problems into his life, but thank God we were provided some reasons, we were given some explanation behind why these things were happening to Job. We see the background that perhaps Job was not allowed to see unless Job wrote the book of Job, of course. Uh, but the point being is this is that God does things on purpose. On purpose. We might not always see it, but we can always trust it. Whatever comes into our life, whatever happens to us, that it is on purpose. We see Jesus' purpose in his determined mission, but we also see John's perplexity. Look here at verse number 14. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Now according to the response of Jesus, what John is saying here is not like Zacharias or Peter. He's not questioning God. He's not questioning our Lord. But rather he's approaching Jesus in the spirit like Mary had of humility whenever she was talking to the angel about having a child, though she was still a virgin. His spirit was humble, yet it was pondering. He was baffled, but yet he was contrite. Have you ever been that way with God? Have you ever just been confused? I mean, you weren't mad at God. You weren't angry at God. You weren't obnoxious, unfaithful, or untrustworthy of his uh, his motives and his plan. Just bewildered. You just didn't understand. Go back to our friend Job. He questioned God too. But he did it in a wrong way. And the way that he questioned God turned out to be a way of pride. David questioned God, but God did not rebuke him for his questioning, for he had questioned God in humility. You see, you can talk to God in these ways as long as we're talking to him as the Baptist attitude was. What was his attitude? He must increase, but I must what? Decrease. It was always a spirit of humility. I'm not worthy to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. John had already rejected the Pharisees from being baptized at one point in, this, in his ministry because they were not worthy of baptism because they would not repent of their sins. But Jesus is now coming to John, and Jesus doesn't need to repent of his sins. There is no sin in him. John understands that. That's why he says to him, I have no need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? I don't need to baptize you Jesus you know you don't need somehow I don't know how John understood it whether it was the father uh, that had given him specific revelation maybe it was his mom and his dad that taught him uh, about these things that were revealed to them uh, early on whenever he was in his mother's womb but the point being is this is that John understood that the anointed one that was coming would be sinless and whenever he saw the Lamb of God that cometh to take away the sin of the world he said this one is sin Less, He has no sin in him. He doesn't need to be uh, baptized. Rather I'm the sinner here. I'm the one that needs to be baptized of thee. Jesus had no sins to repent. So in John's mind his baptism was not worthy of Jesus. John recognized the superiority that Jesus had over him. It had been revealed to him. He felt even at one point, he says, I am unworthy to even loosen his shoe straps. I'm unworthy to tie his shoes, if you want to say it today's vernacular. Put it in our modern language. I don't want to, I can't even bend down and tie his shoes. I'm so unworthy. Compare that to how the Pharisees treated Jesus. Compare that how the Romans treated him at the cross. Compare that how the disciples treated Christ. How sometimes they disrespected him and disobeyed him. Compare that to you and me. Do we live in our pride? Have we anything worthy to give to our Lord? What is my best in comparison to all of God's glory? It's nothing. We have nothing to bring him. Have we any reason to boast or to complain? I hope we can learn from John whenever he says, comest thou to me? That is, should be our attitude. We should have such an attitude whenever we're called upon to serve the Lord. When it's put in our hearts to do for God. Comest thou to me? I don't deserve this privilege. I don't deserve this. But so many times, we as Christians can more or less take on a self-righteous attitude. We can be like the Pharisees and basically be like, well, aren't you glad you got me, God? Aren't you glad you got me? Aren't you glad that uh, I, I can serve you, Lord? I mean, look how nice I am. Look how special I am. Look how good I am. God, look at all the things that I can do. And sometimes we can come across with that error. And we must be careful that we do not do so but rather we be like John and that we come before God as a humble and a contrite heart. For the Bible says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God is with those that are humble." John the Baptist was a humble man and so God used him in a very special way. We see John's perplexity but we see also Jesus' plea. Jesus looks at him and he says, allow it to be so. He says, suffer it to be so now for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. He said, why? What's the point? And we were coming to it. Because it was necessary in order that and I know this is bad grammar, but bear with me, in order that us might fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is saying this next element in my life is only proper for us to fulfill all righteousness. Who is he talking about, this us? Well, if you read verses 16 and 17, then you can connect the dots. It's the Spirit and the Father. John was not necessarily fulfilling the righteousness of God here. It was the Holy Spirit, the Father, and Jesus Christ all working in this one particular scenario here in order to fulfill righteousness, in order to complete and satisfy and perfect all the righteousness of the Godhead together. Jesus was sent for this purpose, purpose to perfect righteousness on the earth. This was only one of many things that he had already done. Think about it. He was born of a virgin. He was born a Jew. He was, he was circumcised the eighth day. He was purified and dedicated to God on the 40th day, just as the law had said. This was part of the chain. But it was more than just part of the chain. It was more than just the next next, or, next, next necessary step, but rather baptism for Jesus was a symbolic for what was going to be happening in just a few short years. His baptism was a symbol of his death on the cross. The Bible says in Matthew 20 in verse number 22 and 23 but Jesus answered and said you know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, we are able, and he saith unto them, ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not, give, is, is not for me to give, but it shall be given for whom is prepared of my Father. Luke 12.50 says, but I have a baptism to be baptized with, and I am straightened till it be accomplished. What is he talking about here? Jesus is talking about his suffering. He's talking about his death. He's saying, I have a baptism to be baptized with. Can you do this, uh, James and John? They said, oh, yes, we can do this. (laughs) We can. They didn't know what they were signing up for. They didn't know what they were raising their hands for. You ever been like that in class before? And somebody says, I need some volunteers. And you don't know what you're signing up for? That's what happened to them. They didn't know what they were signing up for. But Jesus did. Jesus says, I'm ready to be baptized. I'm ready to be, hey, what was he He's already been baptized. What does he mean here in Luke twelve fifty? What does he mean here in Matthew chapter number 20? It means his sufferings. It means his death. Baptism was pointing towards his death. It was a precursor for his death and resurrection. It was a symbol. It was a type for what was about to happen sooner or later. And if you and I this evening have been saved, then we ought to be baptized too. Because baptism represents that physical baptism in water. It represents both the death and burial and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what it represents. That's what it symbolizes. Have you been saved? Are you saved? Have you been baptized? If you have, then follow him in it. We ought to be. These are the reasons why Jesus was baptized, that he might be immersed in into this identification that he took upon himself turn upon your turn it if you will to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 in verse number 21 2 Corinthians 5 in verse number 21 He was immersed into this identification he took upon himself this particular name a name that he loved to be called of He was a son of man, friend of sinners, friend of sinners. He loved that name. He wore that name with a, like a badge, friend of sinners. And the Bible says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That verse right there explains to us perfectly why Jesus Christ was baptized. Not that he had to repent of any sins, but that he might be identified with the sinners that were repenting of their sins. That he might be identified with them, that he might be immersed with them, that he might be in the same water as them, that he might be uh, underneath the same baptism as them, because not was he going, because not because he needed any repentance or any forgiveness of his sins, but he himself would take upon their sin upon his own body and bear them their own sins, their sins upon his body upon a tree. He became sin for us in order that what? What does it say? That, he might be ma- that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in Him. Does that word sound familiar to you? It should because it says it right there in verse 15. He says, it becometh us to fulfill all Righteousness. That's why I say John the Baptist could not have done this. John the Baptist did not fulfill my righteousness. John the Baptist did not satisfy my righteousness. John the Baptist did, was not able to do that. You can read in the book of Acts chapter number 19 and find that very truth to be self-evident. Because what happens there is that they are there in, uh, in, in Ephesus and John, or excuse me, Paul runs across a couple of people. They've been baptized with, a, with the baptism of John. They say, we don't know that there'd be no other baptism. And he says, that's not the baptism that you need to be baptized with. You need to be baptized into Christ, into the Lord. And upon being corrected, they were, and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and they spake with tongues to prove that that this was the baptism that now is what is required of us as believers in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because it is Christ that fulfills the law of righteousness in us. It is Him and Him alone. Baptism points to all of this his baptism does finally we not only see his determined mission and doubtful motives but finally we see a dominant manifestation in our text here tonight it cannot be denied that this is probably one of the most one of the most powerful demonstrations of the bible in the bible of the trinity one of the most powerful demonstrations of the trinity in our bibles You have Jesus there. Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway out of the water, proving to us once and for all, too, that he was immersed, not poured upon, not sprinkled upon, but rather immersed. He went down into the water. That's what baptism means. It means to be immersed, to be completely dunked under the water. All right? That's what baptism means, unless somebody tries to confuse you on that. Don't ever get confused about it. No, just say, no, it means to be immersed. It means to go all the way down in the water. That's what it means. Say, well, I got baptized when I was a kid, when I was a baby. Well, they put you under the water? Man, that's pretty cruel. I never heard of me putting babies underneath water. Say, no, they just sprinkled me. Well, you weren't baptized then. You weren't baptized. You were sprinkled, poured upon, but you weren't baptized. Um, you might approach You might approach that subject a little bit more gently than that, you know what I mean? Instead of just, you know tossing down somebody's, you know, 30 years of religion and just question it underneath your foot, you know what I mean? But, you know, you might try to broach the subject a little bit more. But I'm just trying to get through what I'm trying to say here tonight. Baptism is immersed. Jesus comes out of the water, and then what happens? We find here the Holy Spirit of God comes down upon him in the form of a heavenly dove. A dove is a representation of peace. And Jesus was the Prince of Peace. The dove comes down upon him. Now I have no problem also believing too, as some some have taught, that this is a uh, particular point in his ministry that is uh, the setting forth of his ministry. At his baptism, it is the start of his ministry. It is where he really takes off in his ministry at this particular point in this juncture. But nonetheless, we see him there and... And God reveals himself, but he also reveals himself, not in the Holy Spirit also, but a voice comes down from heaven and it says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Three times the Father spoke to his Son from heaven and people heard it. Here, the transfiguration, and one week before Jesus died. The Father from heaven spoke down about his Son two times the transfiguration, and here he says these very words This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God reveals himself in his Son, he reveals himself in his Holy Spirit, he reveals himself through him, through the Father speaking from heaven. Revelation comes from God in order that we might believe upon the name of the Son of God. That's why revelation comes from God. Revelation plus belief equals salvation. Revelation plus unbelief equals judgment. You could write those formulas down. Revelation plus belief equals salvation. Revelation plus unbelief equals judgment. Those are the formulas, and that's what we must see and believe, that the Trinity is on full display. Why? In order to give us greater confidence that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. That we can have the assurance that Christ's baptism was both witnessed and notarized and approved and stamped upon and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God and, the, and our Father God. And that we should not be ashamed of our baptism that we've been baptized into Jesus Christ. That we should never be ashamed that we were baptized into our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But not only that, but just as Jesus Christ received a spiritual baptism by the Holy Spirit of God coming down upon Him, so we too, as believers in Jesus Christ, have a spiritual baptism also. The Bible tells us that in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For the Bible says, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body whereby we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. One Spirit. Have been baptized by one Spirit. If you're saved tonight, if you're saved tonight, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. He is with you. He is there with you, living inside of you. You've been baptized by His Spirit. You have the power of God that's been accessible unto you. You are His child. You may fall upon him at any moment, at any time, and claim his graces. And say, God, I, 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 I have your peace because, the print, because peace lives within me. Uh, God, I, I have your grace because your grace is, is with me. God, I, I, I have uh, your patience, amen, because your patience is, is with me. Uh, you know, sometimes we say, well, we need to pray for, pray for grace. No, you know, grace is already here, my friend. If you are saved, born again by the Spirit of God, then guess what you already have? You already got grace. It's there. It's accessible. Now rely upon it. Can you imagine tonight if I went home this evening and as I was at the house I was sitting in my room and I was, had a book in my hand and none of the lights were on and I was Reading my, and I was looking at the book, and it was really dark, and I'm trying to look down at it, and I, and I can barely get some light from the kitchen, and I'm kind of holding it like this, kind of trying to see, and Karis walks in, she says, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to read. she said, why don't you turn some, so, no, 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 don't turn on any lights. No lights. I'm trying to read. Well, you're stupid. I mean, why don't you turn on some lights here? I mean, you can't see anything. I don't care. I don't want... Listen, how ridiculous would I be to say... How ridiculous would I be to continue to try to read when, I, when the power is accessible? It's there. It's just over at the light switch. Just turn it on, and then you'll be able to see to read, hey, how many of us this this evening are living in the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and yet are we not living in the power of the Holy Spirit of God? You're saying, I want to live life, and I I want some peace, and I want to be able to have some patience, and I want some grace, and I want some mercy, and I want to live right, and I want to do what's right, but you're not relying at all upon what the power that's made accessible to you through the spirit baptism that's been given unto you whenever you got saved. You don't need some subsequent uh, baptism of the Holy Ghost upon your life. You don't need some afterwards uh, second salvation. Now the Bible says that you are now sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. You are, have been baptized into one body and been, been made to drink into one spirit. But you cannot. Turn in your Bibles over to Romans chapter number 6. But you cannot possess such a power as long as sin is in your life. As long as sin remains in your life, you cannot possess such a power. Victorious, powerful, Christian living only comes through Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God, listen to me, working with you. What does he say? Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be ye, what, filled, what, with the Spirit. Not from, with. God works with us. Aren't you glad for that? He works with us. I want to say that God works through us, and I don't have a problem with that, but I really think the idea that God works with us is even better. Because I have, I think about myself, and I think there's not much to work with here. Amen? Amen? Uh, There's not much to look upon. There's not much to behold here. God works with you in spite of your shortcomings. He works with you in spite of your hiccups and your frailties and your mess ups. But God doesn't work with sin. He doesn't mingle or co-mingle with that. He doesn't work with sin. That's not something that is, in his vocab- that is in his workbook. Sin turns him off. Sin is the great divider. That is why there's only one way in which God can work with us whenever we have sinned. And that is to confess it and to forsake it. We must be humble and repent. Of every known lust and lie and hateful look and ungodly thought and bitter tongue and revengeful spirit and complaining heart. We must go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me of my sin. I repent, God. Forgive me. Confess it and then forsake it. Cast it to the side." For the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, in verse number 1, and this whole picture of baptism that I'm getting to here this just a moment, is centered in Romans 6 that is dealing with sin in the Christian's life. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How can we continue to live in sin? How can we continue to watch what we watch or do what we do or say what we say or put on what we put on or or, or just or, or, or look at what we look at? How can we continue to do those things that are saved? Know ye not? Don't you understand? He's telling them that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from Sin: Jesus' baptism is set forth as a precursor of His death and resurrection. And so your baptism, as both physical and spiritual, is a forerunner for one day of your death and Lord and your future resurrection. How are you looking? How are you holding up? How do you look tonight? How do you evaluate yourself? Does it look like that? Are you walking in newness of life? Are you going back to the old man? To the old ways? To the old thoughts? Uh, do you, are you handling things the way that you used to handle them? Are you handling them in pride and not putting, off, uh, not putting that pride off and, and walking in humility? Are you filled with envy and rage? Are you filled with lust and contempt? Are you filled with hate and greed? Are you filled with things that won't amount to anything in this world? Are you filled with covetousness? All of these things go against what spirit baptism is supposed to produce in our hearts and our lives. It's supposed to produce mercy and grace and love. And peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness and faith and temperance. That's what spirit baptism is supposed to do for us when we have identified ourselves with Jesus Christ by being immersed in the waters, yes, but also being immersed by His Spirit. We've confessed Him. We were baptized. We've been spiritually baptized by His Spirit. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, but are we staying committed to Christ? Are we staying committed to Him? Are we living up to our identification with Him? Are we ashamed of Him? Are you ashamed to say anything to anybody about Him? Are you ashamed to say that you're a Christian? Are you ashamed to tell somebody else about the Lord? Are you ashamed... To tell your boss or your co-worker or your friend or your family about the Lord? Are you ashamed to tell a a, a store clerk about Jesus and hand him a gospel tract? Are you that ashamed? You shouldn't be. You've been immersed. You've been identified. Christ identified with us, my friend, when he had no reason to do so except for it be his love. John says to him, comest thou to me? Thou that's no need of this. Christ had no need to be on the cross. Christ had no need to suffer. Christ had no need for any of those things. That was not for his own good, for his own righteousness. He says, we have done this in order that we might fulfill all righteousness. Whose righteousness? His own? Yes. But ours too, praise God. But ours too. In order that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Have you been made the righteousness of God in Him? Are you saved? Are you born again? Are you a believer in Christ Jesus our Lord? Then live like it. Then don't live bound to sin. Don't live bound to contempt or hate. Don't live bound to revenge Don't be bound to lust and pride and excess and drunkenness and bigotry. Don't be bound to those things, but rather be bound to Christ. Be bound to Christ. Put away your evil spirit. Put away that complaining thought. Put away those things and say, God, I confess it is wrong. God will work with us. Amen? He will work with us. But he doesn't work with sin. We must confess it. And we must forsake it. We must confess it. And we must forsake it. David. A godly man. No doubt, a man after God's own heart. In the later years of his life, took a census, took a census of the people, and God destroyed thousands, destroyed thousands. Over a census. He was not supposed to do it. God didn't overlook it. God didn't work with him in that. He said, here's your options. David, either be delivered over to your enemies. Either have famine. Or rather have basically a curse from God. He said, let me fall into the hands of the Lord. For I know he is merciful. My friend. The spirit of God. Is upon us. That have believed. Christ was baptized. That he might be identified with us. And we were baptized. That we might be identified with him. May we hold up to our. Identification with Christ. And live for him. And honor Him. And bring Him glory. And let us never be ashamed. Let us never be ashamed. Were you ashamed that day when you were baptized in public in front of all those people? You weren't ashamed that day. Or else you wouldn't have done it. Don't be ashamed of Christ. He's not ashamed of you. He died for you. Father, we're thankful.